Hello and welcome to another episode of Marriage in a Tightrope. I'm Alan. I'm Katie. And we're still married. We have a fun interview. We it's do have good. a fun interview. And by the way, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Gobble, gobble. Toil and trouble. Wait, that's Halloween. <laughs> Halloween. Happy Thanksgiving. We're grateful for all of you. We hope you're grateful for us. Wait, that's self-serving? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. But let's get down to brass tacks. We only have a couple of announcements before we let you listen to the wonderful Tim and Aubrey Chavez. Here are the announcements. First, we are going to have a marriage on a tightrope Christmas party. That's right. We said it. Christmas party on Saturday, December 17th at 6 p.m. Where is it going to be held? Well, that's up to you. (laughs) (laughs) That's still a mystery. I wasn't expecting such... Like, I put it out on Facebook... Hey, would anyone be interested in it? And there was a large amount of people that said that they were. And now we are looking for a venue. So if you have a space that you wouldn't mind letting us use, either a home or a business, whatever it might be, and you're available on Saturday, December 17th at 6 p.m., we would love to have it in your space. Email us at marriageandinsightrope at gmail.com if you fit that description. Or if you would just like to message us through Facebook or Instagram, you can do that as well. Or if you personally know us, you can just text us. And I will not put our phone numbers on air. 801. No. The last announcement before we get to the interview is next Tuesday, November 29th, a week from the day that this is releasing, but not necessarily when you listened to it. Uh, is the National Day of Giving. And this is the one fundraiser effort, really, that we give the entire year. So you can go on to Facebook and look up either of our accounts. Uh, We'll link it in our Facebook group as well. But this is literally the only fundraising drive that that we put any sort of emphasis or effort into for the entire year. So if Marriage on a Tightrope has been a, a help for you personally or those that you know and love, uh, we would love your support. It helps us continue this effort and get really great names like Tim and Aubrey Chavez. And last last ep- episode we did was with John and Margie Delin. Next episode we have is Carolyn Pearson. There's a lot of great names that we can we can get in this space. We don't pay them; they're coming on. Uh, but it gives us the the motivation to to keep going in this work, which we spend a lot of our time on. We really don't do any other type of I don't know fundraising throughout the year. It's just this day of giving that we ask everyone to give. And really, we are not paid (laughs) any amount of money for this. A lot of it is just our own time and blood, sweat, and tears because we love this community. But it does help us to keep going and then also to decide what future events we want to have. And it's really helpful. If you don't want to give online on Facebook, you can Venmo us. You can Venmo at Marriage on a Tightrope as well, your donation. Um, and that is just really appreciated. And I know many of you are already donors of the podcast through Mormon Discussions, which is great as well. But if you would like to throw something at us, I I think that it's really helpful, needed, and um, again, helps us keep doing what we love to do. And one thing that we love to do is introduce and interview beautiful, wonderful couples. This episode that you're about to hear is Aubrey and Tim Chavez. They are the hosts of the Faith Matters podcast and part of its executive board, for those that are familiar with Faith Matters. 
They grew up near Salt Lake City, Utah, and went to both middle school and high school together. Aw, cute. Spoiler. Tim served an LDS mission in Montevideo, Uruguay. How's that for an accent? Yeah, that's pretty good. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, and he attended BYU for his undergrad studies before earning his MBA from Harvard Business School. He's a smarty pants and is now an entrepreneur working in Utah County. And Aubrey received a degree in elementary ed from Utah State before teaching fourth grade. She now owns a cake decorating business and Tim and Aubrey are the parents of four children. So we did an interview with, with, um, John and Margie Dillon as, Hosts of the Mormon discussions, Mormon stories, Mormon stories um, sorry, podcast. And we really wanted to shed light on a different group of people. This may be, um, I know that there are a lot of people who were very reluctant to listen to John and Margie's that were active in, and even those who don't like John. But the overwhelming feedback from their episode was that, wow, it was really nice to humanize these people, to listen to their story and understand where they were coming from. And we really had very few comments that were negative, um, if any at all. And I, what my hope going into this podcast is that for those of you who are no longer in the LDS church or who no longer have a belief in God or in um, a set religion, that you go into their story as well with an open mind because they have a really incredible story to tell. They came out on a different side than some do. And I would say that a lot of people do. I think that they provide an alternative um, perspective, which is really, really helpful. But a lot of the things that we talk about is are really um, the same, right? In the marriage, as well as uh, the things that we go through. And, you know, when a faith crisis happens, and we ask ourselves the question, how do we continue knowing what we know? And they just came out in a different space. And I just hope that you give them the respect and time um, that you gave John and Margie to this episode as well. As one who is no longer believing, I loved this this episode. Sitting down with three other people that do believe differently than me. Uh, great opportunity to learn. I really liked it. So we hope you like it as well. Enjoy our interview with Tim and Aubrey Chavez. And now we would like to welcome to Marriage on a Tightrope, Tim and Aubrey Chavez. Tim and Aubrey, welcome. Welcome. Thank We're you guys. excited. Yeah, great to be here. I It's a competition and we are more excited. <laughs> I think I am the most excited. I concede the victory to you. Yes. Okay. So uh, I met Tim and Aubrey at a Faith Matters event uh, when I think back when at last she said it was speaking at someone's home. Yep. And, and honestly, I had kind of heard about Faith Matters, but not really had an introduction. That was my first introduction to that group. And then met you. And I think I said to you, Hey, we should have you on the podcast. And then, um, it's, you know, kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And then, um, the next big introduction was when, um, I attended the restore conference a few months ago and we had like a huge group from marriage on a tightrope who went and felt like super inspired, like, I I can't say enough about the event itself, 
other than it was like really what I see church as being in the future is what I wish it would be. And, uh, and both of you were so well-spoken, did a great job hosting everyone for the, for the two days that it went on. And, and then I was like, okay, bucket list item. I need to get Tim and Aubrey on oh. the podcast. Oh, no. After this, we can check that off of the bucket list and you're yeah. one. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, that was dark. You are dark. Well, you know, anyway, that's why faith matters. That's why faith so matters. That's darkness, right. The darkness doesn't like it has with me oh my gosh okay we're gonna let katie run the show yeah i'm just gonna shut his mouth the rest of the time anyway but so i just want to thank both of you for being willing to come on our show i i don't think you understand that like half of our listeners are active usually active or some nuance and i would say them a lot of them if they are still in this space they're very nuanced which is why Faith Matters is so helpful, important, and relatable to so many of us because um, we're all doing this line with our spouses, but then also with the church not being, um, not fitting the mold or the box anymore. And so I feel like that's why this like group and mission and everything speaks to so many of our listeners and why so many of them are excited for this interview. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Thank Thank you. you We've been looking forward to it. All right. Now, listen, I didn't go to the conference. (laughs) I didn't meet you at at last. She said it. If it would have been called at last, he said it. I may have been. (laughs) Probably not still. I mean, that's all men get is at last. He said it. That's a good point. I think that's why (laughs) the podcast exists, right? So we would love to start for those that are like me and, and ignorant to the, the wonderful people that are joining us tonight. Can you tell us a little bit about um, who is Tim and Aubrey? I know that was not grammatically correct, but that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's let's just take it away. Let's start with um, let's start with Aubrey. Kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, um, and we'll start from there. Sure. So. Um, I grew up in, I was born in Salt Lake city and mostly grew up in Utah. Um, my, I come from six generations of Mormonism and, and six different lines of polygamy. So I, uh, I, I always really valued that, that ancestry. And it was something that like was really celebrated on both sides of my family. Um, and we are, our church growing, I mean, our, our family growing up our family life really revolved around church, but I I do feel like in a healthy way, like looking back, I know that a lot of people have really problematic experiences in the church growing up. And, and when I look back, like, I really can't imagine a better village. Like it was just, we just had a ward that was so supportive in every way. And they were an extension of our family. And I feel like they helped raise me. And I really have very few like complaints like it just they were just it was a lot of like good people who cared about me and like I I just it feels kind of amazing like now that we have kids and I realize how unusual it is to have like other adults who have who like care about you as a child and like I I feel like we had so many we had so many people like that who like went out of their way to really like make a difference in our life so I really just feel like I had kind of an idyllic childhood like beautiful ward experience beautiful neighborhood and 
And, um, but our family was, was definitely like all in like to the max. Um, my dad was called into the high council, I think in his twenties still. And like, it was, that was just such a part of our life growing up that he was usually gone on Sundays. And it was a, that was just, it, it was like such a huge part of our family life. Um, and then Tim and I actually met when we were 12. So I feel like I, my story doesn't even get very far before Tim and I become friends and our lives sort of start becoming intertwined. Um, and I think that it's interesting now looking back that like we went through so many strange, like such a strange period of our life together, like be, go, like 12 to 19 when Tim left on his mission, like we kind of became ourselves and we had a really solid group of friends who uh, one of our friends joked once that we were the we were the friends that the popular kids parents wanted their kids to hang out with. <laughs> like we were just like and this is on, great we were not arrows. The popular kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we okay. were we were really well, good kids. You were in the same like stake or neighborhood. How did you meet? We, we went to the same middle school. So we were different stakes. It was Sandy, Utah. So we were like stakes and stakes apart, but we went to the same middle school. Um but I think that I think we sort of challenged each other's like perfectionism. Like we we just we were constantly like one upping like how you know, righteous you could be with the an best intentions. Do you want like, an anecdote on that one? I want an example. Aubrey was one of the one of the few <laughs> in our so group scared. that refused to watch PG thirteen oh movies. So basically, every weekend it was like an alternate, like alternating between that thing you do and ET or something. Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really that about sums it up. That was me as a teenager. Yes, yes dedication. And Tim, <laughs> were you quite as dedicated? I watched I watched PG thirteen movies, the appropriate ones. <laughs> yeah, you know there is a spectrum for sure. I watched the appropriate ones too. I also watched the inappropriate ones. Continue. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no, I mean I was very I was actually very much a straight arrow as well, and that that ended up being sort of to jump a little bit ahead. That ended up being quite toxic for me. I suffered from OCD and scrupulosity on my on my mission, and it was. I, I don't know, like if I had had a different upbringing or if I had had a different group of friends, if that would have actually been any different. But like what started as like in high school, this this experience that we're having was like a really healthy first half of life type experience ended up being like taken way too far once I sort of got out on my own mm-hmm. on on my mission. And so that's been that has been like a key core part of my need need for deconstruction like I had to I had to stop believing in that God or else it just wasn't gonna work you know Tim was your family as orthodox um as Aubrey's uh not maybe not quite so much we were I mean we were a little bit different and just to give you like yeah sort of the same um spectrum as as Aubrey like my so I was I was actually born in Alaska so diversity there already um I'm a quarter Puerto Rican and quarter Mexican and and then half like SPF 100 type thing. Um, but that, so my, my dad is actually a convert and he, um, he married my mom. Like he got, he got baptized, excuse me, right before he, he married my mom, she introduced the church to him. And so that was a, a little bit of a different dynamic. Like it doesn't go, you know, I do have pioneer stock on one side, on the other side, it doesn't, you know, it just stops right there. Um, and I think that, probably accurately portrays a little like how we approach things like we were definitely um you know we were definitely a very practicing uh type of type of family went to church every week did all did all the things maybe not maybe not quite to the extent early obviously. morning scripture study yeah like, we no we did the things. We, we, the things we did the things yeah um 
so but like i said everything yeah everything started to started to change after after high school and like again that group of friends like we're friends with them to this day and they're all amazing people and i'm i'm really grateful for that experience it was it was a very uh, you know a very healthy and and just fun time in our lives i i want to go back to the friends because i think that um you know, I think back to my own high school friends and um, where I was, and then you kind of go through college and then you, you meet back up after your missions and stuff. But then as life happens and kids come and like, there can be a shift in just the dynamics and also like beliefs. And I, if I'm thinking to like my own high school relationships, there's a group of girls I see every year when everyone's in town, but we've been through such crazy different experiences on our own that when we come together sometimes it can be a little awkward because we're different people now yeah you're you're just different and um I can imagine that a lot of them love to see you now as adults because they know both of you which is a total advantage it's been so fun actually I I think we've kept in touch with people that we wouldn't have just because I don't know. I think I would have lost touch with with half the friends. Like I wouldn't have kept in touch with the with the guys. So it has been really fun, and I think in that way, um, it's meant that we've seen those friends pretty frequently throughout the twenty years or so since we've graduated. And and I definitely feel that like our you know life has pulled our faith in a lot of different directions. But I think I don't know. I I really value those old friendships, and and um, I would say I think you know, in high school, faith was sort of like a central part of our friendship. Like it was something we were all talking and thinking about all the time. And I, and I think maybe the way that it looks now is that that's less of a conversation because I think we're all over the spectrum. And so that's like not such a part of our life that we really share anymore. So, but I, I I feel like we still really value the relationships. It's just, it doesn't revolve around this. I know the church is true. Like it did. Yeah, Yeah. it really did. Like it was, it was kind of thing where people would show up like in shirt and tie or dressed to first period and you knew that that they had gone to the temple that morning like you know gotten up at five or whatever and my reaction to that was always like oh i need to be going i need to be going to the temple more you know doing baptisms or whatever and like like Aubrey said our our friendship really did revolve around revolve around faith we talked about it all the time and we were but like um we supported each other too like when we all the sort of like parting moment when we all went on our missions was really was really meaningful it felt like we had you know, gotten each other there to some extent. I love that. And Tim, what was that moment like for you um, going on a mission? And can you dive a little bit into what happened while you were there? Yeah. Um, so I would say I had felt like little tinges of OCD um, prior to prior to my mission. Um, just like like I remember one time, like there, it can manifest in so many different ways and people don't typically understand OCD. Like a lot of the time you imagine it's, you know, lining up pencils really straight or needing to vacuum or lock doors or wash your hands and that, that can all be part of it. Um, but a lot of the time, the, what you're, what you're seeing stereotypically, those are the compulsions, but it doesn't, it doesn't show what's going on underneath, which is the compulsion is a response to something that's really, really, really bothering you. Um, maybe to the extent that you're depressed and maybe to the extent that you're suicidal. Um, I, I just actually saw this, saw these numbers last week, but the best estimates show that um, there's the lifetime suicidal ideation for OCD sufferers is something like 40 to 45%, like almost, almost half of people that OCD have have thought about taking their own lives Mm -hmm. at some point. 
Um, and the other part of it that we don't talk about is the obsessions, meaning that there's a there's a thought in your head that you cannot get rid of no matter what, at least without treatment, right? You don't, because the, the problem is it's the treatment is sort of counterintuitive. What, what you want to do is you try to banish the thought and trying to banish it makes it worse. And so what happens is, especially in an environment like a mission where you're trying to live to this really, really high standard of worthiness, um, which I did. And so I think, you know, through high school, wasn't really feeling this, but once, I mean, and e- even in the MTC, I was sort of okay. But once I got out of my mission, I think just probably the the stress of being out there, I had a, um, I had a, if I can be honest, a very difficult trainer um, who didn't speak English and I didn't speak Spanish yet. And so the whole thing was sort of a traumatic mess. And I think that probably triggered these OCD tendencies to get, um, to get a little bit worse. And they got, and they actually got a lot worse quite quickly. And so for me, what would, what would happen is that I would have a, I would have a thought, you know, that I perceived as, as sinful. And you start to be able to totally not be able to um, differentiate between like, oh, that was, that was a weird thought. And just like, I have committed this sin and I need to, I need to confess. I need to repent. Like the spirit is gone. I shouldn't be out here. I shouldn't be a member of the church. I should be excommunicated. And you just like go, you just go straight down that path super, super quickly. And the, obviously when it's all thoughts, there's a, there's a, there's a religious language for this, right? So like a, a certain thought I could say, oh, that's the devil tempting me. Or another thought could be, oh, that's the spirit whispering to me what I, what I should do. You know? So like the thought that I need to go confess to my mission president about some sin that I think I've committed. I think that's the spirit, you know, giving me a, giving me a prompting, but really that's just a very stereotypical part of OCD and scrupulosity telling you, that you need to that you need to go confess something, and so, um, and the other the other part of it is like you have these old you know talks from Boyd K. Packer or whatever that are saying, um, well, there's lots of I'm, I know you guys don't even know where I'm going with this because there's so many to choose from, but hey, whenever like, Boyd K. Packer comes up on the, on the podcast, we listen. <laughs> Good, no, um, like the thing, like the thing where it's like, oh, if you have an impure thought, then um, then sing a hymn in your head, and like the two can't coexist. And let me tell you. Boyd K. Packer did not have OCD because they can't coexist and it can get, it can get like really, really scary for people. And I, I don't want to like trigger anybody that has OCD by getting too much into the, into the details, but like for a missionary that is trying to live to this super high standard of worthiness, it goes down a path where you, you think you are the, just the most depraved, sinful, hellbound, you know, person that could possibly have ever existed. And so that's, that's the mentality that I was in starting probably by the time I was six weeks into my mission, that's the person I saw myself as. And can I just interject one thing? Like we also like the prescription for repentance to someone with OCD looks a lot like they're the compulsion anyway, like go confess, then you'll feel relief. And like, you're going and and you're, you're thinking that like, this makes sense. And like, this is just, this is how you repent. And like this, all of these feelings make sense. So it's so easy to like fly totally under the radar because on the outside, it can look like you're doing the same thing that any, anybody else is supposed to do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Yeah, totally. Which is what happened. Like, which is what happened. Yep. And there's a lot of, with OCD too, there's just a ton of like black and white thinking and desire for certainty, which obviously gets mixed into like church stuff really easily too. Um, But like, you need to know, like with the confession example, 
you feel like if you you maybe have committed a sin or you maybe have done something wrong and you need to know that you've been forgiven or you need to know that you're worthy. And so like that, um, that desire to confess is partly that it's go to an external authority and have them to tell you, Oh no, 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 no worries. Like you're, you're worthy. You're good. You don't need to think about this anymore. And that causes this momentary relief. And you're like, okay, I'm good. But by the time you get home from your confession, you're, you've already remembered something else that, um, that you think, oh, shoot, like I forgot to tell this detail about that, about that transgression. Or there's another thing that was related that, um, that I should have, that I should have confessed. And so it's not like, not, not only did you not complete your confession and therefore you're still, uh, you're still unworthy. You're also a liar because you didn't complete your confession. So it's just this, it's this downward, it's this downward spiral. And I will like, I don't want to be too dramatic. People, um, people have had far more severe cases of OCD than I had. And I never had any, I never had any plans to take my own life or, or anything like that, but I definitely, started to believe that it would be better for me to die than, than to, to continue to live. Um, and f- not only just for my own sake, but like I started to consider my, like I saw myself as so sinful and so depraved that I actually considered myself to be a danger to other people. Um, like I was worried, I was worried for my companions. Uh, I was worried for anyone that I encountered uh, on the street, like um, just through a variety of ways, uh, either like being contaminated from being with me or that, or that somehow I would inflict whatever sin upon them. Like um, that became, that became so scary for me that I would, I would hurt someone like that, that I just didn't want to exist anymore. Um, And, and like from an outsider's perspective, what they would have seen is like the best missionary they've ever seen. Like, you know, it's just, there's, there's such a huge disparity between like his experience and what any outsider would have seen from you know, that's just watching. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it was, it was a bit ironic because like reading my letters home or like, this is not to be arrogant at all, but just like, I actually did like hold every leadership position and like, you know, people saw me as a great missionary. And part of that was like, I felt like there was so much at stake, like people, you know, people's salvation and exaltation is literally at stake depending on, um, depending on the way that they perceive the church based on their interaction with me, you know? So that means I've got to have that smile on all the time. You know, I've got to show how happy the gospel makes me all the time. And so with that, with that dynamic, I was definitely, it, my number one priority was hiding, you know, what I was feeling inside for the sake of, you know, for this, for the sake of the people that I was interacting with, you know? And okay. And missions are just so hard in general. And then, you know, if you are learning a new language and a new area, starting off, like I remember my my companion saying, "I can't believe you haven't broken down and cried yet," and I was like, "Oh, am I, am I allowed to cry?" I asked her, "Am I allowed to cry?" Because it was something that I was like, I didn't know that that's something that we could do as missionaries. So I'm feeling a lot of compassion and sadness for young missionaries, Tim, because uh, the pain is self inflicted in a lot of ways. Totally. Yeah. yeah, that guy. That guy needed a hug. But he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have hugged you though. He wouldn't have done it. Yeah. It's okay. rules. So how long can you go like that? Did you go the whole mission like that? Yeah. Whole mission. Yeah. Once I, once I got home, um, it started to, it started to like the, just, you know, let a little bit of pressure out of the, out of the bottle. Just like, it felt like, you know, twisting the top of the, of the, of the 
two liter bottle and it just like a little bit it it didn't let out let out all the pressure but like enough that i started to to feel a little bit better ocd later on would sort of rear its head um to the extent that i finally got it diagnosed and and treated um that didn't happen for several years unfortunately so you know it was but it was enough where we got married and like things were mostly going pretty smooth at least at least relative to but that's another tricky thing like you you get a handle on on one angle and then it changes themes you know like it it really morphs depending on what you care most about so on his mission like purity made so much sense and then you know when we get married then it's going to be about us when we have kids it's about the kids and or a career and like it it was it's it's like slippery because it's always changing with your life yeah and okay so aubrey let me just make sure like were you writing to him while he was gone (laughs) We actually, Tim's mom did a really fun thing. We, all of our friends wrote to her and then she, cause we couldn't email each other yet. And so she would print everybody's letters together and then mail it out to all of the missionaries every month. So we, we also had a dedicated mom. Yeah, it was awesome. She has a lot to do, I think, with why everybody stayed friends. So yeah, so we kept in touch and I had been on a study abroad and happened to just be home from school the same semester that he got home. And we were the only ones of our friends who were both not in school. So we had to hang out and then we started dating pretty quickly that and got married that year okay so short amount of time yeah so he got home in february and we got married august 1st whoa but i think that it makes sense when you've been you've known each other for yeah yeah your whole life yeah 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 totally and we had we had dated in in high school like there was definitely like mutual interest there from the beginning and so it yeah yeah, it seemed very it seemed very natural yeah so uh, I want to ask you Aubrey at what point or do you at what point start noticing some of the OCD or do you have any sort of like recollection of of seeing hints or or glimmers of it yeah are you yeah and you're okay if I talk about HBS so, I, I mean, I think looking back, we can see like, oh, that makes sense now. Like so many things make sense that we didn't see. I didn't understand any of that until we had been married, um, like how long? Like six years or yeah, so. Yeah, six years. And he was applying to business school and it just, he, he sent in the application, like he'd been working and I mean, working and working like for this application. Like this was his dream since forever. He'd been studying for the for the GMAT for like, I don't even remember how many months, but it was like a job. Like he worked and then his second job was like studying for the GMAT. And he, he like did amazing. Like he, I'm just going to say, since I'm telling the story, he like got the actual highest score on the GMAT that year, like highest that you can get. And, and he earned it. Like he had, he had worked so hard and then he was working on the essays and he, oh my gosh, I never tell the story. um and he just went through the whole process like wrote the essays he got feedback from friends which he took and it was like editing feedback like totally standard editing feedback but after the essay was sent in and after he was after you were accepted yeah after he was accepted he started feeling like oh my gosh I lied on the essay like I cheated on the essay because I took this feedback from friends and so that means it wasn't my work and I have to call the admissions office and tell them that I cheated on my essay and that was like the first moment where I was like this is 
this is actually disrupting our life. Like that's so weird. And if you call, I know you didn't cheat, but if you call and even have that conversation with them, like that's so weird. And like, you're throwing your dreams away. Like, and it just, that was the first time I felt like this has a name and it's, it's going to change our life. And so I, I actually made an appointment with a therapist that I had like Googled and saw that she treated OCD. And, and so, yeah, that was kind of, that was the beginning of everything changed after that, like everything changed. And yeah, I don't, okay. I think that, and then, and then like the re- then, then like looking back, there were a lot of things that were like, okay, now we could call that OCD, but it just didn't, we just, it wasn't enough to like, feel like, like big enough to fix, but you know, it would have been easier like the sooner we had understood it but that was the big like life moment where it felt like something really drastic has to happen or this is going to actually change the course of both of our lives you know I I feel like it's really hard for a partner or spouse to bring something like therapy up if you are seeing behaviors or things that are not they're affecting the family and it's really cool that you are like I think that this is what it is and 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 Tim were you on board to like get the help or were you like no that's not what it is I mean I think I think I was a little bit reluctant but I didn't I didn't push back hard because I knew something was I knew something was wrong like to be fair like with OCD you don't lose your mind like you I recognize I fully recognized how weird it would be in this case to like call the admissions office and say like hey I cheated on my my essays you just feel like that's you just feel like it's the only moral thing to do. Like there isn't, there isn't a choice like you could, or I could just, you know, I could just drop out completely. And that was, that was more where I was going. I was like, yeah, I get how weird that would be. Like we should just turn down, we should just turn down the admission offer because like I, I cheated and like there with these certain forms of OCD, like scrupulosity in particular, like living to the highest standard of morality is, is all that matters. Like it doesn't like going to your dream business school, you know, is, is nothing in comparison to the importance of living a, uh, a righteous, you know, life. And so I, when Aubrey brought it up, I was like, something, yeah, something could very well be, be wrong here. Like I need some help. Like part of it was too, like I was agony over, agonizing over this to the extent, like I was totally not productive at work. Like I remember like closing the door to my office and just like laying on the floor, completely debilitated, like unable to function. And so like that made it clear to me too, like, we got to, we got to do something about this. And so, yeah, I, I, I think like within days I was, I was there and things were, things started changing within, I don't know, a few weeks. Yeah. I I was just going to add, like, it was actually, it was also really hard on our marriage too, because the other side of OCD is that like, because I didn't understand it either, like neither of us did. And so what, what always happened is that I would sort of take on the role of being the devil on his shoulder. Like I was always in the position of like, it's not that bad. It's not that dishonest. Like, it's not like, you don't have to confess this to someone. And like, and, and that was like, that was hard too. Like I started wondering, like, maybe like, I'm not worthy of the spirit and air quotes, you know, like maybe he's more sensitive to something. And, and like, I feel like I'm dragging him down and like, it just wasn't a healthy dynamic in, in any way for any of us or for either of us, you know? And so I think it just, but it took, it took, it had to get extreme enough that we, that we learned that there was new language for what we were experiencing. Because up till that point, the only way I can make sense of it is like, he's more 
worthy of the spirit or like there's just constant this constant negotiation where I'm always going to be on like the dark side of good you know like every conversation I'm going to be on that side and like that starts to feel bad you know and and so yeah I was being very I mean I was being very unfair to her in our in those early years of our marriage because like most of my like minor sins or whatever I would confess to her and get her reassurance and that that I was that I was okay and that's not, yeah, that's not a, that's not a place to, to put somebody in. Well, and little did we know too, that that's just reinforcing, right, the, like I, reinforcing I just, the cycle. Yeah. Like I am feeding the OCD because he, he brings some sort of confession and I give him all of the reassurance that no, 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 no. Like everything's fine and you're good. And like, that gives relief and like the OCD is getting bigger and stronger, you know? And so I, I was always in the position of taking confessions. And so I needed therapy too, to like learn how to just, you know, shrug my shoulders and be like, I don't know, you know, maybe you did lie maybe that was dishonest or immoral or whatever, super uncomfortable to say, but it changed everything. It changed everything to like, so that I could kind of step out of that role and also just to, to like suffocate the OCD. Like it, it got better so fast when we learned, when we learned how to deal with it. Sorry. Wow. You didn't know we were going to take this. Yeah. <laughs> if you can, I just say though, like, I mean, we've talked about this a few times on the podcast, on our podcast and I, I just, I cannot like emphasize enough how, how much, like how many times we've heard from people in the church who say like, I didn't know that this had a name and like, this is me. I just, I think it's so easy when you have, I mean, when you, when religion is the thing that you care so much about, I think maybe it's more, it's, it's common for OCD to look like scrupulosity. And if it's scrupulosity, it's so easy to just go years and years thinking that you're having the same experience as the person next to you and using all the same words and never realizing that this is actual an actual mental illness. Like, I, I just think you could, you could go most of your life without ever noticing because you're, you only know yourself, you know, and it's just amazing. Every time we talk about it, there's a wave of people who say like, I, this is me or this is my spouse or my child. And I didn't know. I, I th- thank you for, I mean, we hit record and we never know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> You've experienced that, I'm sure, as well. Uh, and, and trust us, there's there are so many of our listeners that have experienced this. We've talked mm-hmm. to people, we've interviewed people on this topic as well, and a number mm-hmm. of different mental illnesses. So this is definitely on topic, and I know that our our listeners will will certainly appreciate it. And the whole podcast is like marriage. Like, how are you making things work right. when things are going not your way, especially the prescribed way. And so it's really powerful that you're telling your story. So I have in my mind this, this gap of knowledge. So I, I, we've learned kind of about both of you, Tim, we focused a little bit on mental health uh, concerns into your marriage. You've kind of figured out you're diagnosed with OCD and you, you very quickly are able to start resolving some of the impact of that. And then fast forward to you are, are involved with faith matters. There's this big gap in there that I, I don't know your story. Katie might know a little bit better than I do, but help us get in, in between those two points. So was there, was there some sort of, um, did this lead the OCD and how that was handled? Did that lead to any sort of uh, yeah. act with your, with your faith? I, think it's all, I, I actually do think it's all related. Sure. Sure. Uh, I, well, and and jumping to like adding to that question that I want you to address is when I when I think of like scrupulosity and looking for outside validation, I can see how that can be 
even like really difficult, toxic and, and hard with like church leaders. If that's what the position you were in as a missionary, um, later. So anyway, yes, go ahead and go with that. Well, I can tell, I, I can tell one more mission story, which is like when we, when we first got to the MTC, the first thing we learned to say in Spanish was, I know God lives. I know Jesus Christ is a savior. I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. I know the church is true. And that to me, like I was, I was actually super uncomfortable with that because like, I didn't feel like I knew in, in air quotes, all those, all those things. And so I was like, I don't know if I can go out and tell people that I know all this is true. You know, when I'm not totally sure, like the getting the words right. And like being completely honest about what I actually felt was really important to me, probably because of this, probably because of this like hyper scrupulous mentality that I, that I had. And, um, I got over it. Uh, I don't know if I just caved to peer pressure or whatever, but like, I definitely started using that terminology on my, on my mission eventually. But, um, like the quest to feel like I could legitimately say, I know continued even after my mission. And so I, like, I had started to hear like some of the anti-Mormon stuff, anti-Mormon in quotes, of course, um, on my mission as a missionary. That's, that's, that's how you, that's how you think yeah. of it. And, um, I wanted, I wanted a way to be able to dismiss it. Um, I wanted to prove that it was all lies, that it was all wrong. Um, and so once I didn't have like the uh, requirements of what, like the re- reading, you know, only the five books or whatever, right. scriptures, right. um, then I started, like, when I got home, I started getting on Fair's website, uh, other apologetics, um, reading Rough Stone, like, the, the stuff that I, that had disturbed me the most was about Joseph Smith. So I was like, hey, like, we've got this great historian, uh, knows everything there is to know about Joseph Smith. I'm going to read this book so I can defend the church and defend Joseph Smith's honor. And read the book and all the anti-Mormon stuff was true. Like, it was all, it was all in there, you know? Now, what, what about year would this be? So this is 2000, like 2000, I mean, I got back in 2006. And so the research was like going for a couple of years sort of under the radar. Like I felt like I couldn't confess to Aubrey that I was having doubts, Um, but it came to a head in 2011 um, when I finally was just like, this whole thing's like falling down around me. You know, like I can't, I can't not only can I not say I know anymore, it's just like, I've just, I have no idea. Like this could, this could all just be a made up, you know, a bunch of whatever. And I felt like at that point I was being dishonest by not revealing it to Aubrey that I was, that I was feeling that way because again, in my mind, and this is a little bit scrupulous, potentially she had married someone that had a strong, perfect testimony. And, uh, you know, we got married in the temple. We made a covenant um, under those, what I then saw as pretenses and uh and I was not living up to the person that she thought I that I was and so in 2011 is when I finally got up the courage to tell her not knowing you know not knowing what the reaction was going to be or you know if she was going to kick me to the curb or whatever we had two we had two little kids at that point you know I was super I was super scared to tell her because I mean and the world has changed you guys know this more than anybody but like like in the last 10 years 11 years like the world has changed so much in terms of like probably what the typical response is to a confession like that. Um, well, the- Aubrey, I want to know what, what like you were thinking, because I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like we went through this in 2014 14, 
And then, and you know, we hear from couples all the time coming into this today. It is so hard. It's it, there is a, a mourning and a death in some ways when your spouse is like, I really don't know if I buy into this. So I don't know, maybe Albert, you can just say a little bit about what you were thinking or feeling when he told you. Yeah. I mean, I think my first initial, like, I mean, I remember the moment very clearly, like, so maybe there was something a little traumatic about it. I don't know. Cause I know exactly like both of us do remember like exactly where we were driving when he, when he brought this up and just said he, the words I remember, I thought, I think he said, I, I don't know if I have a testimony. And like, it kind of felt like, like, I don't know, like falling slow motion, you know, like everything stops. And I think it, I, it was, it was a, just a strange moment because I like minutes before that happened, I would have, if the conversation had been like, why do you think people leave the church? I would have been really dismissive. Like I would have given you four reasons or so, and they would have been Stop you know, watering like, the plant. Yeah, stop watering the plant. They, yeah, just like in the first place. Yeah, yeah they're like, they're, they're, yes, <laughs> yes. Like, on Sundays. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like I, I think I just had never. I didn't have any, like, any close family or any close friends who had left the church, and it was really easy to just feel very safe in my knowing because that was the case. Like it was very easy to be like those people leave because of reasons that are not like me. And so I'm very safe, you know? And, and so, but hearing those words from Tim just instantaneously, like all of those, all of those beliefs just totally dissolved because I know him. Like I know, I I knew him so intimately and had since we were children, you know? And, And so I, and I knew, and knew what he struggled through on his mission. And like, for him to say, I'm having these doubts, like I, I trusted him so much and, and I believed him. I was like, if you're looking into this and like, oh my gosh, maybe the church isn't true. (laughs) Like that was, that was like the feeling like there, maybe I'm missing something because if you, if you don't know, like, I just, it's like you, it's like we were, we were so on the same page that it actually really rocked my world. And and maybe the bigger issue was that I think as soon as we got married, I had a lot of questions and like so much pain around polygamy. And it was like way too tender to even to look like I just couldn't even think about it. And so I think when I think I leaned on him a lot, like I couldn't go there, but I tr- but he knew and it was OK. And so I could just kind of like lean on how sure he felt. And anytime those thoughts were like creeping in and I started like getting nervous about church history. And so I think it was really destabilizing for me when he, when he opened up about this, cause it was like, Oh, all of that strength is like gone now. And now I, and it was like, it was like a dam broke and, and I had to deal with my own questions because there was just nothing left to hold them back. So in a way that was kind of a gift because we were both sort of drowning together, you know? And then that's, yeah, that's where it started. And I think then it was years. It it was like, I mean, it's still, it's not over. Like, it's still like, this is all like very fluid, but like there were some really, really hard years where, where it was terrifying because it just felt so volatile. Like I, I, at the beginning, our faith was so black and white 
that it felt like what we were actually trying to decide is still which church is true. Like it must, it might not be this church. And so if it's not this church, then like, which church is it? And we were like, I, I was keeping like a Google doc of reasons to believe this is the true church and reasons to believe it isn't. And if it isn't, then, then like we're leaving. Like it was, it was that a Google and- doc where you would make like a side-by-side analysis. I'm actually, this is fascinating to me. Link in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I like our rough stone rolling. So Tim's reading rough stone rolling and, and then I start reading rough stone rolling and I started, I had, um, these little like tabs that were color coded. Are they still in there? And I, oh yeah, this isn't video, right? I can, <laughs> but I was marking. So I had pink for any time. There was something that I just like, no, like I could not explain. Seemed super problematic, oh, yeah. really disturbing. Yeah. So all the, it's hard to see the colors. You yeah. can't see it. For, for those that, yeah. that are listening to this, every page is. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. But that was the rough stone rolling was the first was kind of like baptism into faith crisis. And I just, I was sick. I was like, absolutely sick. I really believe that anytime I heard something, I thought when we said that Joseph Smith wasn't perfect, it was like, yeah, he was so irreverent on the Sabbath, like with those stick poles and like, like, that's really what I (laughs) thought. And so like, I just remember like, just like crying over the Emma chapters. Just like, it's not that. Like, this is so, it just felt so wrong. Like, I just couldn't believe that, that God could work through something this messed up. And it was terrifying. It was really scary. But, but I think the hardest part for me, at least, and I want to hear what Tim says, but, but for the two of us, it was really scary because even though I was having all those questions, I wanted Tim to always be more in than I was. Like, it was scarier to feel like he was he was more out than me on any given day. And like, I could really feel myself like tighten up around any time he, he was expressing doubt that felt deeper than mine. Like, I, I don't, I thought, I don't know, like that was scarier for me. And I think that it made it really hard to talk about because there was so much fear just mixed in to all of these conversations. So we could be talking about the book of Abraham or anachronisms, but like, it wasn't even about that at first. It was like, I'm trying to just gauge, like, are you more in or more out? Because I'm so stressed about what I'm going to tell my parents. If you can't baptize our, our daughter who will be eight in two years, you know, like that's all I'm listening for is like, are you going to do the baptism or not? Like it, which is so ridiculous and so far out in the future, but like, that was the only thing that was present. Like, how will this disrupt our relationships and our community? And so it took so, it took years of just like being able to face our, I mean, for me, being able to face my own fears, like walking to the very end of what I consider to be the worst case scenario. And like, what would it actually look like if we lost this community? Or what would it look like if only Tim was gone? And like, who's going to bless the baby? And, and just like, I I don't, it's like what you were saying, Katie, like, I felt like I kind of had to like mourn all of those future scenarios that I just wasn't sure about anymore, that like I'd lost all of my certainty about. And, and those things healed, like those stopped feeling so pressing, but like they were absolutely suffocating at the beginning, like just so, so much of the future that was so uncertain that I couldn't imagine being another way. It, it was suffocating. And, and that was present during every conversation at the beginning, every, and that was all we were talking about, you know, like every dinner we would just sit at the table and it would be easily an hour or two hours just like back and forth about whatever 
thing felt the most problematic that day. And, and we did that for, I mean, I feel like it was really, really intense for two or three years. And then we, and then it, it stopped hurting so much and we were able to just keep moving, you know, but, but it was, it was terrifying and it was so painful for a really long time. I'm really excited to hear about after that two to three years. And I think our listeners will really like to hear that as well, because the putting, putting everything back together, not necessarily in a, like putting the beliefs back together, but just there's, there's a new relationship here when you get through the most painful parts of that, that crisis uh, within personal faith and in a, as a couple. So I want to get to that, but I really think it's important um, as somebody who went through a crisis of faith myself and did not experience what the Chavez's did. Cha or Cha? Chavez, yeah. Okay. I just want to mention So did not experience what, what you just outlined, Aubrey. Um, Katie, Katie did not go down the rabbit hole with me. And a lot of our listeners, I was just going to like really compliment you on, on, um, you know, having enough faith and trust in Tim to go down that path because I did not. And that is, that is the exact thing that I want to like address and call attention to for our listeners, because I think I would be shocked if it wasn't the great majority of our listeners did not experience what you just outlined. And that's largely why they're listening (laughs) is because there are, the differences are so great that there wasn't that leap of faith into the partner to like go down into it at the same time. But I think it's equally as important to call out to the listener that that listen to the questions that Aubrey just asked herself, even though she did read those things is I just want to make sure that Tim can still baptize our kids. Who's how I don't want to lose this community. Like the same things that we're worried about as couples when we don't go into full-blown research mode, uh, yeah. are the same questions are, the same are things. coming up. Yeah. And so thank you. So relatable. And like would love to keep going, but I think it's important to call that out to our listener because I felt a little bit of a little pink right here when I heard that immediately you started reading and I was like, oh, man. I know. And I was like, I can't trust you anymore. Who are you? <laughs> and that. I understand. I under, and I'm like, we're laughing about it, but I understand that that response too. like, it's, yeah. this is a, this is a tough well, world. I mean, and like, can I just say one thing? Like, I, I'm not sure that that was coming from a super healthy place. Like I would love to believe that it was really just like that there was so much trust and like, I don't know that for the healthiest reasons, I like chose to step into that. But I think that a lot of it was probably like my own woundedness too. I think that like, I, maybe it's my personality, but I think I really was kind of socialized to just, I, I'm just like, have always been very deferential to, to authority. And in the church that has looked like men, it looked like my dad, even though I think he would hate to hear that. Like, I, I don't know that I like that. I learned that, but so maybe it is just a person. I don't know. It's those six lines of polygamy. That's what it is. Like I, I just grew up very comfortable, like handing over my authority and like being told what to do. And I think that's something that we really had to work through when we got married too. like, re- like coming, like showing up as an equal partner. And that was very early in our marriage. And I, I, I think probably that had something to do with it. I think it was probably like me still working for an identity. And so it was really destabilizing for me. And I think had that happened later in our marriage, when I felt 
like more secure in my own place, maybe that would have been a, a different conversation. So I'm not sure that like, I'd, that's a compliment. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, no. I, I mean it that way. Like Katie, like I, I really do feel like I didn't have the identity to hold my own space always the way I would have liked back then. And I'm sure that that was at play too. Yeah. So I don't know. it's complicated. I think for everyone, it, it turned out to be a real gift, but I think that, you know, our, our deepest wounds always have that, that potential to be alchemized for something good. And like, that's what had to be alchemized. Cause I think I was really broken, you know, but yeah. those are the first two instances of the word alchemized on this <laughs> podcast in 130 oh. episodes. So congratulations. Oh. <laughs> Well, I want to go, records. I want to go to Tim. Tim, um, talk us through your processes um, in your own sort of deconstruction, and um, I don't know, and how you emerge. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean we both had similar things going on. Like I, like I was also thinking about like the consequences of what if. I or we conclude that the church is not true. Like, what does that mean for our families and friends and everything? Like the, for the life we had, for the life we had planned. But that to me was secondary again to like the morality of if the church is true, you have to stay in because that's the right thing to do. If the church is false, you have to leave because that's the right thing to do. And like that to me. So the question was, I need to figure out if the church is true, but I had a bias toward wanting it to be true. And like, again, I'm using all this language that I would never use today. Like, I don't even think I, I don't, I don't resonate with the term the church is true or, or, or the church is not true anymore. Th- those phrases, like I wouldn't use that, but th- this is my mentality at the time. And so like, even though I knew it would be painful if we had, if we had to leave, like if it was the right thing to do, it was the, it was the right thing to do. And that's, you know, how I saw everything, like kind of like we've talked about. Um, but there was also this period of, Regardless of what we conclude, I know that I didn't know this. And I know that I was not taught this. And, you know, despite graduating from seminary after four years, and there was a, uh, there was a serious feeling of anger and, and betrayal because of that. Like, I was like, I don't know who the adults were in my life that should have been telling me this, but somebody, you know, somebody should have, should have brought this up because it was, to me, it was dramatic. The, the narrative that was the true one was dramatically different than the narrative that I had been had been given as a child and, and, and youth. And so I got, I got pretty angry for a while. I still didn't know. I still didn't know what was, you know, whether the church was true or false, but there was a real period of anger. And actually there was this funny time in 2013 or so where my Bishop called me in like after church and was like, Hey, like, are you okay? And I was like, what do you mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. He's just like, well, I just, I saw you down in the, down in the pews and you look so upset. And I was like, oh yeah, that's just like my angry face that I make at church now, <laughs> you know, because like, and I think, and everyone, most people that go through faith crisis probably have this period if they stay for any length of time where you go to the, you go to church and everything you hear, you're, you're just picking apart, you know, it's just like, I cannot bear to listen to that thing being said one more time. And it feels like everything that is said is that, is that thing, you know, and definitely went through that um all the while wondering like am i going to be able to reconstruct my testimony and it one one thing that had kept us in and sort of like practicing through all of this was was actually the work of Fiona and Terrell Givens who we heard on Mormon stories uh way back in the day you know in 2011 2012 
And Terrell had this like super unusual approach where John asked him about uh, horses in the Book of Mormon, I, I think. And he said, what would you say about that? And Terrell said, well, I'd say that it's a problem. And I was like, whoa, like you can uh, simultaneously admit that there are problems and like practice as as a member of the church. I was like in shock. Like how do those how do those two things coexist? And so we became we actually became big fans of of Terrell and and Fiona over the years. We actually reached out to them like totally cold in like 2012. They both responded to us like super thoughtfully. And that was really, you know, that was really meaningful. And so we were just like going down this this path of sort of ambiguity, not knowing whether we were going to stay or go. And then in 2017, 18, we discovered a podcast. It was called Conversations with Terrell Givens. And we're like, oh, we know that guy. We love that guy. You know, and he had started having these these conversations with members of the church that were interesting and, and thoughtful. And we loved it and looked up behind the scenes who was behind it. It was, it was a nonprofit called the Faith Matters Foundation. And we reached out sort of long story short and just said like, hey, if we can help with this, like we think you guys are doing good things. And they of course accepted our help and we got, we got involved and just started like behind the scenes again. And this is still like during sort of this exploratory period. It's like, we don't know where we're going to end up, but, um, uh, but you know, we want to, we want to help this type of effort within the church regardless. And so like I helped with the website, we started like joining the the calls, you know, just like being sort of strategic. They were, they were publishing some, um, they were continuing to publish podcasts occasionally and publishing stuff on the website and, you know, just chipped in where we could. But we, what we felt like was there could be room for a podcast that like explicitly just like talks about these types of things, you know, and, and takes this type of approach and what we just need is for, you know, for there to be consistent content. And so we said like, we could, we could try hosting a few and it then from there is sort of really spiraled out of control. And now, you know, it's a, it's a weekly podcast and we, we host it along with some other people that, that join in and, and host occasionally. And um, I would, I will say to you, maybe I want to pass it over to Aubrey, but like our perspective since that time, I would say has changed. Like our big, like moment of like faith crisis turning into like faith transformation or like really seeing it as a, as a journey that, that has taken us somewhere productive actually has, has happened since we, since we started working with, with faith matters. I would just add, I feel like there between like those Ellen, the years that you were talking about, like the first three that were just where you, you just like cry through church and everything just feels like an attack. Like it's just the worst, like it's torture. It's just, tor- it's just, it was so hard to go to church and like, it was, I didn't want to talk about it or think about it, but also it was the only thing we were talking about and thinking about and everything that anyone said, like every week it felt like I w- I ended up in tears about something in, at church. And, and, but I, I think it, I, I, I love this book. Is it Myths of Happiness? that talks about hedonic adaptation. Yeah. I really think it's like a time thing. Like you just cannot, I mean, my experience was I could not maintain that intensity forever. And like nothing changed. I didn't find the answers. But like, I started to feel better. It started to just feel more stable. And the things that hurt so excruciatingly bad at the beginning were still there, but they, they stopped hurting so bad. And, and that just felt like, it just felt like time inched by, but like, 
you know, three years later, I wasn't crying all the way through sacrament meeting and I was able to, I felt like I was actually experiencing growth again. Like I felt like, I think there had been growth happening all through that, but it just hurt so much. I didn't care or, or see it anymore. And it felt like the pain sort of subsided and it was really recognizing that there were valuable things. Like I appreciated showing up and being in this community that was like really where I sensed tension, but like I, I, I could feel myself like stretching in a way that I wanted to. And I was having relationships with people who I wouldn't have chosen to have a relationship with, but that felt like because we were friends, I, I was like extending love and respect in a way that I don't think I was capable of doing before, you know, because I was, because it would have been too easy to dismiss. I wouldn't have chosen to be friends, but we were making funeral food together. And like, I, I didn't understand their politics, but I really like learned to love them. And, and it, it just felt like over time, what changed was that in the beginning, the only thing I cared about was like, is the church factually true? The one true church, did God come down and tell someone this is the only true church on the earth? And that's the only thing that mattered. And it just felt like what happened slowly over time is that I stopped being obsessed with that question and really started to believe that I wasn't ever going to find the answer to that question. And simultaneously started really valuing the way I could use church to feel connected to God. And so it just, I don't know, that was like the, it, it was like knowing just stop being a value. Like I know the church is true, just didn't seem like something that I needed anymore. And, and so then I felt like I could kind of like hold it with an open hand a little bit more. And like the things that felt really problematic, like that felt soul shrinking, I felt more like I felt allowed to just let it go. And I think before that, the problem was like, I had to make it work. Like I had to figure out how polygamy was like ordained of God. And like, how did that mean that, how could women still be the same in, in, in that scenario? Like how could they be equal to men? And like, so it was just like, I was constantly like the gears were constantly jamming and, and it just kind of felt like the shift that happened was that I was, it just felt okay to just say like, I, that just doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't feel like the God I've experienced. And so I'm just going to let it go. Like, and, and it, I expected to feel like guilt about that, I guess. Like I, I expected to feel like I wasn't worthy of the same experience that other people were having in church. And all of that just transformed. Like I, it, that just stopped being my experience. I felt like it was okay to just show up and belong and let polygamy go and serve in Relief Society. And I didn't feel like I had to like prove that I was allowed to be there anymore. And for so many years, it really felt like I was constantly needing to to prove to everyone that it's okay, that like I'm, I'm allowed to be here. Right. <laughs> you know? And so I, I did, but I think looking back, like it was just about time, like, and, and maybe part of the story is that we moved to Boston, like right in the middle. And that was breathing room. It really was, it was breathing room to just kind of have a fresh start. And we were with a new community and a new ward that it was kind of a BYU transplant ward. So I'm not sure that like culturally it was that different, but it did kind of feel like it let the pressure out of the room a little bit for a little while. And then, and then when we came home, I think we, we just felt more secure about where we were and, and that, and then we felt less defensive. And I think something about that makes you able to feel like you belong when like the defensiveness kind of drops and you feel secure with each other and you feel secure in your place in the church, then like we were able to show up on a Sunday and feel secure there. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really love that. I can't help but think that maybe it was made a little bit easier by the fact that you two were doing it together and some of your goals for staying in um, served 
both of you in the marriage because you know when you get to this stage if people are listening to us it's because one one is out and one has decided to continue in their faith and so that can be really challenging for couples when they're no longer on that same page you know they're going through their own um faith crisis they're going through in their transition whatever you want to call it um individually and you're trying to get to know each other and but um, I think that many people don't have the luxury of having their spouse who, mm. who wants to take it to that level of like, let's just keep trying yeah. until, you know, until we can figure it out. But I mean, I think everything still applies in what you're saying. And my next thoughts are, um, you know, I, I really love the faith matter space because it does feel more progressive. It does feel like there's room for question. There's room for not knowing. And there's room for still a lot of um, love, you know, with each other and um, still connecting to God. Um, One of the challenges, though, is I, I would say advocacy for that in our own families, wards, wherever it might be. And I think you guys are doing, and I mean, Faith Matters, the whole, it, they're doing a great job trying to um, help people see that. But um, for our listeners, do you have any thoughts or ideas on how that can be a more tenable space for them in their own home wards where they're listening and serving and talking every day to the people around them? Yeah. I will just say, so Brian McLaren is a guest we've had a couple of times who I really resonate with. And something that he said, um, I think maybe in Do I See Christian? When did, is it Do I See Christian, his latest book? Um, he talks about creating spaces of grace. And what he means by that is like finding a person where you can be really free to just talk about your faith. And so I, I like, I think you're right, Katie, like we we did have like this, the luxury of being able to have that space of grace between us, but I don't think it, I don't think it necessarily needs to be about your testimony. You know, like, I think, I think he's talking about, I think he's talking about something much broader and, and, and I think that that can be totally values based. And when you're able to just talk freely, like with, with all of your authenticity, like have some safe space where you can be totally authentic, then you can kind of like start creating that feeling of belonging. But, but I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can just show up to your ward and expect to feel that. Like, I think, I think he's totally right that like, it has to start with one other person. And then like your circle expands a little bit and you may find a couple of other like, like like-minded people who may not agree totally, but who feel like really safe spaces. And I think that's just healing, like having, having the sort of like practice conversations, like you sort of get to articulate your ideas and like try things out and just figure out what you're thinking without losing any cap, like without losing any social capital by making comments in Sunday school that, or maybe you're going to change your mind next week and they're feeling disruptive. I think you need, like, you need some, everybody needs somewhere, like someone to talk freely to. And then that circle can kind of expand so that when you do go back to your community, you're coming as this whole person who already feels like they have permission to belong. And then you don't have to feel like you're earning that from your community. I love that. Tim, do you have anything to add to that? You know, 
I think I think Aubrey I think Aubrey said it really well. Um, for us, I, and I and I do recognize that our situation w- was a bit unusual and and lucky in a lot of ways. Like we didn't that like after faith crisis, it seems like belonging crisis is like the sort of next step that always happens. And a lot of a lot of people are completely alone in that because they you know they don't have a spouse that they can talk to. And so our belonging crisis never got we're so, you know, again, so lucky, like it never got smaller than, than the two of us. And when you have just one, just one person, um, to talk to, then it, it really can change everything. And you can start to, to construct those larger and larger, uh, circles, circles again. Um, I, I think there is a, if, if possible, it's helpful to have those, it's helpful to have those conversations in person, um, you know, on online, uh, I, and obviously we participate in online um, stuff, you know, as podcasters all the time, but those spaces can be, can be so polarizing. And, um, you know, obviously algorithms are sort of built against us to make us, to make us angry, to make us engage. And so I, I like that there are online spaces where people can, can have these, these conversations, but to the extent possible, um, I think it's, it's, it's best to be able to, to interact in person when you're, uh, when you're, trying to find these these spaces and online and like, shouldn't be the only yeah like I, i'm grateful for the online spaces as well but if that's the only the only conversation on the topic that you have it's i agree yeah. with you wholeheartedly yeah absolutely and church can be a it can be a super it can be a super hard place to to find it too um but to the extent you can thread the needle if you're if you're sitting if you're on the side of trying to make it work and you're sitting in an elders quorum or relief society or Sunday school, and you can thread that thread the needle with that comment that sort of shifts the energy. Um, and like Aubrey said, a lot of people don't want to be disruptive. That was never, you know, that was never my way of doing things. Some people, um, you know, some people maybe do. And there's, I, I think there's merit in a lot of different ways of doing things. But even just making a, a little energy shifting comment, I think oftentimes will bring someone up to you afterward who says like hey i appreciated that comment and then you and then you might know that that's a that's a person you know that makes me not quite so alone um and just create and create that little that little space of grace between you um unfortunately like the reality is this is this is the hard part and i my heart totally goes out to anybody living this right now because it is it is hard no matter how many tips and tricks we can offer you know right yeah i i I want to wreck. This is another like talk to the listener. Listener, I'm going to hold the microphone close. Um, I'd love to. So I, I, for your context, those that have listened to all of our episodes kind of know my story personally, but um, I tried to belong for about 18 months. And I think that, I think it is important to, to, to point out, because again, I'm, I'm hearing I, I'm hearing from the ears of both the person that that tried to make it work for pretty strongly for a good period of time and the spouse who is hearing how you're talking and they're still in and they're wishing like, oh, I'm going to make sure that my my non-believing spouse is going to listen to this so that they will they will try again. And I think it is important for one of the four of us to let the words come out. Some people don't want to belong anymore. And that's okay. I don't have a desire to belong 
at, in the church community anymore. I don't, I can still go. I went to church this past or not this Sunday, but the Sunday before mm-hmm. it was fine. It was fine. Like you said, Aubrey, there wasn't a lot there. That pain wasn't acute. I still heard the things that I didn't love to hear, but it doesn't sting. And it's like, it's fine. I can, I can do that. And on the opposite end, I still want to belong. I still feel that belonging. And it is hard being on, so to say, like the edge of the inside. Right. But I I've told Alan, I've tried to not want to go. I have tried. And for me, for mm-hmm. me, it's just not what I want. I it's my heart is like wanting to be at, at church. What mid episode homework assignment for everyone <laughs> listening. Pause the podcast right now. Go listen <laughs> to my own soul's warning by the killers. <laughs> this is my the anthem of this pod. We've actually had a podcast taken down because we we use that episode in our hundredth episode. Oh, it's Brandon Flowers singing about what Katie just said. He tried to leave the church, and that's not what he says in the song. He's, I tried going against my own soul's warning, but in the end, something just didn't feel right. And that that lyric is starts the song and applies to both of us. She tr- wow. she Katie has tried to go against, like she's tried to. I don't know that I would say you've tried to leave, but you've tried to not belong and it just doesn't feel right. No. And for me, like I've tried to belong. It just doesn't feel right. And knowing mm-hmm. each other's hearts and where we're at, like we can both be okay with that. And we can both listen to that song and be like, Brandon gets me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, go listen to the song and we'll see you in a minute. Welcome back to marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I just want to say thank you so much, Alan, for voicing that. That was so needed, I think, in this in this conversation. And it reminds me, like, I I want to emphasize to people whether you know we don't know them or we happen to, and they're listening to this. Like, we don't we don't have any agenda for them, and like, we don't need them to stay or to go or to do anything like that. Like, we love you regardless, and like, I don't mean that in a cliched way. Like I think like respect, like respect that you, you you know what you, what you should do. Yes. You know, like, and I, I have had such good experience, like the best experiences that I had with people when I was like in the, in the thick of faith crisis were people where I, I felt that they, that they didn't have an agenda for me. Like Mm -hmm. there's, it's almost impossible, I think, to have an agenda and be, fully loving. Typically there's some sort of, uh, you know, manipulation as, as good as the intentions might be if, when there's a, when there's a need for a particular outcome from another person. And, um, I, I want to emphasize that that's, that's, I, I, I hope that we're not, we're not coming oh, not from, at that, all. from that point of view. Not at and, all. Um, I, and Alan, what you, what you said, just, it struck me right in the heart and I, I really, really appreciate it. Both of our hearts have been pricked today. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys read or like listeners are into Eckhart Tolle and like, I just love his book so much. Like, I feel like that's been so life-changing for me, but it kind of makes me think, I, I really think that if there's a purpose to our life, like it, it must have something to do with learning to stop the resistance, like learning to really exercise radical acceptance. And I just feel like, that's something that 
comes to mind now in any context, like any context where there's suffering. I just love this idea of like letting go, like recognizing where what I'm resisting and just leaning into it. Just like, what if I just like completely relax into this idea and let it go? And, and so I, I like just thinking about like how those dynamics bring up different resistances. Like we feel like in, in the context of faith crisis, there are just, there are a million different things that we're going to feel resistant to. And I like the idea of like, as a spiritual practice of just practicing, totally accepting and totally letting go. And, and I think one of the most, one of the hardest things to not hang on to is this idea of Thomas McConkie always, he calls it being exclusively inclusive. Like sometimes we redefine what inclusivity means and we get like so rigid around who's like inclusive enough. And then we ironically become so exclusive around how inclusive everyone is. And like, we're listening for all these like cues about who, who passes our test. And like, we're, we're becoming a mere image of the things that we're so, that we're judgy about. And, and so that, like, that's something that comes up for me all the time. Like I feel resistant to someone being allowed to leave or to leave cheerfully or like leave and have a really, you know, like productive or, or maybe even like feel more spiritually grounded when they leave. Like I, I, I've noticed, you know, in as many different people as there are, like there are things that I'll feel resistant to. Like I, I still hang on to this idea that like, I want to know the prescription and like, I want to know that I'm doing it the right way. And so it like causes some dissonance when someone is finding a way to feed their soul that is different than what I know. And, but I think it, it, it just, it feels like such an important part of our growth of my growth to recognize those resistances and just like totally pause and like accept it and 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 like totally let go of the resistance in like the deepest way and i love when new things like this come up and recognizing like oh this is like making me feel really tight about this thing and i don't know why and like it feels like a gift oh my gosh i love that i i think that this is such an important conversation. I feel like one of our goals right now is just to talk to couples who are in all stages of belief and and out of belief. We had John and Margie Delin on um, last week and we had Carolyn Pearson and and these I I firmly still hold to that you can learn anything and out of someone's story and you both have been so vulnerable in telling us yours. And it's been, I think it's so helpful for everyone to understand because I, I hate the, it really humanizes who you are as a person. And so, so often we just judge and mischaracterize people. Oh, they they're in the church still. They are blind. They are sheep. And I, and I want to just squash that because people have their good reasons and it doesn't mean that we have to judge what those reasons are, but the second we stop listening because they are so, so so-and-so called in or so-and-so called out, that's when our progression just stops. We cannot go further when we are unwilling to listen to other people on either side wherever they are i love when you spit truth <laughs> makes me happy you're sexy when you spit truth oh gosh oh sorry audio podcast it's getting late <laughs> yeah. add to, one really quick thing like i i really feel this like being i mean you can i think we're pretty unequivocally in and engaged right now and and 
And I do like, I love, I really do love the experience that we're having. Like, I feel so grateful for like how this is feeding our, our spirituality right now. And like our actual connection to God. But I, one thing that's so hard is like offering that belonging to people who I, who I very quickly judge to be too simplistic. Like there are people who are engaged in the church who don't care about the problems that were so important to me for so many years. And, and it's really hard to offer that belonging to them too. Like you are totally allowed to be here in all of your simplicity and without your questions. And like, it's just funny how it flip-flops like for, for a long time, I didn't want them as part of my Sunday experience. And it's been so, it's been like really soul expanding to, to just try to offer the belonging that I've wanted forever. Like let, let this person in their simplicity, be here and love them so much the way that I, I've always wanted from them. And, and I really think that's, that, that's such a healthy version of our community and it's like such a healthy practice. It's just so hard to like, be okay with that, be okay with someone who isn't asking the questions. And, and it just feels so ironic because I, all this time, like all these years, I felt like, no, you're pushing me out. Like you're telling me I don't belong. And, and like, I am 100% became a mirror image of that same um, like exclusivity. So that's, that's something like that we are thinking about and talking about Yeah, every Sunday. Totally. For me, just to add 30 seconds to that, like I, I've been playing the piano in primary for the past four years and like, it's hard to go too wrong in there. Just like singing about Jesus, you know, for the most part, there are some that could <laughs> definitely go by the wayside, but um, I just got released. And so now I'm I'm back in like elders quorum and Sunday school. And actually it has been a little bit hard for me to embrace this, um, like, like giving other people my, my belonging that I have to offer because I am, I am in there. I'm hearing things. I'm judging, like I'm having a hard time. I'm rolling my eyes and not with everything, obviously, but there are things that are just, that are just hard. And, but I'm realizing that it's also, that's also a a place of, of growth for me, like to just be there and have to interact. And like, it doesn't have to be the church, but I do, I, I, I think all of us do need places where we're not just like in our, in our comfort zone a hundred percent of the time. And we, and like, maybe that's, maybe that's a blessing. And I, I totally, yeah. well, we should probably just like get this out of the podcast, but like, maybe that's one of the good things that could, that could come from even a marriage where you see things differently is like that constant, that constant growth and needing to incorporate somebody else's somebody else's point of view that's not your own like I'm 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 getting that at church but like getting it at home I can only imagine is a is a whole different experience that that's honestly that leads perfectly into what I wanted to ask next excuse me because Tim what you just said is is literally like the mission statement of marriage on a tightrope is a uh, a difference of beliefs doesn't have to be the reason why your marriage fails I would even say as strongly as shouldn't be the different, the reason why your marriage fails. It'll be other things. And it'll be other things. Right. <laughs> and B um, it's what you just mentioned. It's there's actually a lot of benefits to that. So marriage on a tightrope, that's the space that we are addressing. And there will be people that really want to be in that space. And, and then usually it's a pit stop and it's just for a, a short window of time and then they move on. So I'd love to ask you, the Faith Matters podcast. What is that space? Who, who of those are, of our listeners who are wondering, is that a space that would be helpful for me? Can you yeah. define the Faith Matters podcast space and what you're hoping that your listeners get from it? Yeah, I think 
if we, if we had to boil it down to a, a, a single word to describe the space, the word that we would want to use is expansive, probably. Like, um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes people think of the podcast as progressive. We we actually don't think of it in those terms so much. We think of it as as expansive as possible. I think one of the symptoms, quote unquote, of faith crisis is that, and this is a good thing, probably, like God, the idea of God that you've lived with for most of your life starts to feel really, really small, like way, way too small. And to the extent that there is a God, God must look really different and much bigger and much more all-encompassing um, than than what you've imagined previously. And so that that's that gets sort of at that expansion that we're going for. We do think that um, we do think that this faith tradition, Mormonism, ha- has um, some core theologies and access access to its um, to even to some of its cultural elements that allows for a really expansive uh, way to think about God and an expansive way to interact with the world and people in the world. And so that's the that's the space that we're trying to trying to create. And I, I would just add maybe that the that we really try to always do that in a spirit of love, which to me looks like, you know, being honest about big questions, like asking the real question. And, and we, you know, we have people on the podcast who we, we, we may not personally agree with, but are open to. And like, it's been, it's been such a, an interesting practice to just show up to an actual, to hopefully in the same room with, with somebody who has something interesting to say about a certain topic that we actually have actual questions about, like real genuine questions. And, and it's been, um, it's just been, I feel like when you're not just typing online, like it's really hard to not have respect for someone who shows up with the best of intentions and like really trying to like offer their heart to a conversation. And it's been so good to just see that over and over and over again, like in every, in every conversation to see people who are willing to just, open up and you, you like feel something in the room when people are, when people are coming in good faith like that. And so that's kind of, that's been part of the goal too. Like we can talk about hard things. We can talk about hard things in the church, but like, let's like, let's stop being so afraid of the actual question. Yeah. Well, thank you for opening up to both of us. Uh, I, (laughs) and both of our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I would love for you to, like, if someone wants to contact you, if they want to look into what Faith Matters is all about, how do they do that? You can go to the, just the, actually the very best thing probably is if you go to the website. So it's just faithmatters.org. There's a contact submission form and we get those emails. So if that's a really easy way to find whoever you're looking for. Yeah. And then we do have um, Instagram and Facebook, Faith Matters Foundation. You can you can always reach out that way too. I like um, secretly after that um, Restore conference, I said to, I came home and to Alan and I'm like, I think I'm going to go work for Faith Matters. And Alan's <laughs> like, wait, what? And I'm like, no, I just like, I love, I love the work that's happening. Um, big fan girl of, so many of the people involved in projects and who um, just really give space to so many of us and fill a need. There's a need. And um, I feel like that really those, at least for me, um, my needs felt very met. And um, 
you know, one thing I walked away from the conference feeling is that, man, I wish we had this type of like um, gospel music at church because the right? music was just incredible. I loved it. And I came home and I told Alan, you know, I'm really, like, that's something that I really miss. I miss like really good, like Christian music. And I just, it really like touched me in so many ways, just the presentation, um, the people, you know, the diversity, I would say of the groups. So anyway, I tried to sing some like Creed songs to Katie at night to like make up the difference. It it didn't hit the same. Oh, honey. I tried. Oh, I tried. Tim and Aubrey, thank you so much for joining us on Marriage and Inside Up. I think this was a killer episode. Yeah. Guys are awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. This is really this is really fun. Go listen to their podcast, everybody. Faith Matters. Uh subscribe, listen to it. I'm gonna do it too. Okay. Oh, let me ask you this. As someone who literally has never pressed play on the Faith Matters podcast, (laughs) you haven't do you have an episode? I'm gonna drive to work tomorrow for 30 minutes. I can listen to a 45 minute podcast on 1.5 speed. So what episode should we listen to? You had to pick one episode. Okay. Yeah. Imagining a four stage church by Brian McLaren. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Imagining. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You're saying Patrick Mason or you're saying Brian? Oh, okay. Sorry. Imagining four stage church, Patrick Mason, and then Brian McLaren's Do I Stay Christian? They kind of. Do I Stay Christian? Is that what you said? Do I Stay Christian? Okay. So those episode numbers. (laughs) Do I Stay Christian? Alan needs that one. I had to put what, it in. Is, is there an episode number for the okay, 135? That's imagining a four state four stage church. And then let's see, Christian. Okay, I, actually, I'm going to cheat and say one, one more. Oh, 134, 134, 135. Doesn't get it easier than that. Michael Wilcox. Um, the other one that I would say is there's one from Michael Wilcox, which I think is in, I think it's like episode 80 something, like 84. Um, It's called God's Many Voices. 85. 85. And he goes through like the different. Um, holy books of other wisdom traditions and it is super interesting it's amazing he brought a stack of books like this and he just went through one by one like this is my favorite part of the quran this is my favorite part of the of the bhagavad gita and like it's it was amazing very cool very Very cool okay you alan what's your what's your go-to we have to listen to our go-to episodes i haven't thought about that in years (laughs) (laughs) i i really like episodes i think it's 29 and 30 um, for those that are that didn't listen to everything back here, and if you would want to go look, we had two episodes pretty early on where where we <clears throat> I did a solo episode saying here are six things you can do for your believing spouse for those that don't believe, and then Katie followed it up with the same for the non believing spouse. That's amazing. Um, I thought that was a really a really fun one. I don't know. There's been so many. <laughs> the rest of them are garbage. Don't waste your time. <laughs> but there you go, everybody. Three episodes from Faith Matters, and then if you have time, those two for American Tarot. <laughs> Thanks again, Thanks everybody. Again.